Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 65, Long-Lived Yellowstone Hotspot. Thank you for listening. Yes. Long-Lived the Yellowstone Hotspot. Ha, ha, ha. Well, there's a new science paper that came out just a few months ago, written by Vic Camp at San Diego State University and Ray Wells, USGS, and uh, it's a great paper. It kind of summarizes um, work that those two guys have been doing for the last, I don't know, 30 years or more. And they're both retirement age now. I think uh, Vic actually did officially retire from uh, San Diego State uh, recently. And Ray, I think, officially retired from USGS maybe last year or two years ago. I'm not sure. But uh, they still, they're still at it. Uh, that's kind of a cool thing, by the way. Uh, this week, I'm, I'm, I'm visiting with Ray Wells, actually, in about an hour uh, on Zoom. Uh, he's been watching some of the live streams, the video live streams, and he had some ideas for me. And he says, why don't you try some plate triangle, ve- plate vector triangles? And I'm like, it sounds good, Ray, but I don't know what those are. <laughs> So he said, well, I'm not going to, it's going to be easier for me to just talk to you instead of uh, drawing or writing everything out in an email. So anyway, Ray is, um, has done amazing work and is also a real person. You know, you can imagine him at the hardware store easily enough, uh, as well as uh, Ralph Hager at USGS. I'm going to meet him in the field tomorrow in the Blewett Pass area. He lives in Wenatchee now. Uh, also retired, but still chipping away. Actually, I'm not sure that's true for Ralph. He may still officially be working uh, for the USGS. But the point I'm trying to get to is that um, this geology thing is so fun and so satisfying that it's rare to see people who are, talk about robust people, you know, that are super productive and super engaged and kind of authorities in certain areas of Pacific Northwest geology, it's rare to just see them you know, retire and then that's it. No, they just go until they, can, they can't go anymore. Or they lose their mental abilities or whatever. Uh, so that, that's, I don't know where I'm going with this, but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a way of life kind of a thing, I guess, but you can, you can draw your own conclusions. All right. So, um, you know what? I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, I don't, I don't share compliments that often. Um, you, you don't want to hear all. You, did you know what somebody said to me the other day? They said I'm an amazing person. So, okay, I don't stop talking, please. So you don't want to hear it, uh, and I, I, I don't know. I don't want to hear it from me either. However. Had a big moment yesterday, personally. Just thought I'd share. Wasn't planning on it. Just So another one of these USGS guys, who probably is officially retired but is still still at it, even in the field, is Brian Atwater. And I, I know that you know that name. And it's the guy that single-handedly helped everyone realize that magnitude 9 earthquakes uh, have happened every 500 years or so in Washington, and before his work, nobody was able to see that at all. So, probably the most important geologist uh, of the 20th century um, worldwide. Uh, I've probably said something like that before. Anyway, I hold him in, he's 
top shelf, uh, not only in my book, but pretty much everybody's book. And he also, you know, you'd see him down at the hardware store and you wouldn't bat an eyelash. Like, he's a real guy and super humble. Anyway, I was looking at the newest little magazine from the Geological Society of America, and they had all the details about the upcoming field trips and sessions at the GSA annual meeting in Portland, Oregon. It's in Portland this year in October, and God willing, we can do it in person. But anyway, there's a bunch of field trips lined up, and and there's a big Missoula Floods field trip in the Upper Grand Coulee, led by Richard Waite, USGS, Brian Atwater. And I'm like, so I emailed Brian. I haven't heard, heard from him in a while. And I said, I was, Brian, I was just so pleased, surprised that you're part of an Ice Age Floods field trip. Because it's been 40, I don't know, 35 years since he's done anything with the Glacial Lake Columbia deposits up there. And he emailed me yesterday, late, late afternoon. And he said, Nick, you remember that talk that you gave in Lewiston at the big uh, gathering? I can't remember the name of the organization, but he gave this big keynote presentation to this packed auditorium in Lewiston, Idaho, and then and then I gave my talk after his. And Brian said, "You what you laid out with the slackwater sediment stratigraphy in northern Washington and western Montana and southern Washington, and you basically just asked, can't we correlate these slackwater sediment deposits? Well, I've been working on it since then. And here's a diagram in, in, in a draft of a diagram I'm working on. It's basically just kind of following your lead. Brian Atwater talking to me, following my lead. Wow. So thanks for letting me share that. I just uh, saw we're going to tr- try to meet up in the field later this month. And if, if I can get him on camera, I will. But uh, it um, big moment for me. Anyway, this isn't about me. This is about the geology. So let's move on. Thanks for listening to that. So uh, I'm intersecting with these USGS geologists, and Ray Wells is one of them, the co-author of this paper. So let's get to the topic today then. Uh, Wells, you recall, I believe, and I suppose we'll talk about him again in the next audio episode here, because uh, Wells is is most uh, easily associated with Celestia, which I have mentioned in past episodes back in the exotic terrain days, etc., a large igneous province that was built quickly off the coast of the Pacific Northwest between 56 and 48 million years ago. I don't know. Should I just throw that into this episode? I guess I will. So why not? We're talking about wells. So uh, for a long time, there was... How much do I want to put into this episode? I got to pace myself, man. I don't know if I want to throw all this in one episode. Oh, why not? Let's go. So Wells, over the course of 30 years, uh, found all this terrific evidence that a large igneous province was built offshore. Uh, locally, there's the Siletz River Volcanics. And in Washington, the Crescent Basalts. And up in British Columbia, the Machosan. Do you remember all this now? We did this not that long ago. But his story was this thing had to be built offshore 
And he flirted with the idea that was first presented in the early 80s, not by Ray Wells, but by a guy named Robert Duncan, who I, I don't know anything about. But Duncan thought maybe, yeah, I think in 1982 paper, is it possible the Yellowstone hotspot, which of course today is in Wyoming, uh, goes back way earlier than 16 million years ago? Is it possible the Yellowstone hotspot was doing its blowtorch thing as early as 56 million years ago out in the water. Get it? Long-lived Yellowstone hotspot, not just uh, burning holes in southern Idaho in the last 17 million years, but can we take that Yellowstone hotspot history and go back much further? And in class, and Wells was tuning in to watch that one, uh, I had a flashlight on my iPhone, you know, it takes me a while to figure out how to turn a flashlight on on this frickin' phone. And then, of course, I forget to turn it off, so I got a flashlight burning a hole in my pocket, basically. Can you relate? Anyway, I found some tracing paper, and I sketched the outline of the states, and then I just held my flashlight phone steady. I didn't move my phone, in other words. I didn't move the flashlight. That was the Yellowstone mantle plume 56 million years ago out in the Pacific Basin. And then I had the tracing paper drift over the stationary cell phone flashlight and show that we have 56 million years of steady mantle plume activity, but a drifting North American continent. So really, uh, if we think of a long-lived Yellowstone hotspot, and that's what we're trying to do in this episode right here, dear listener, we're realizing that 56 million years ago, the Yellowstone hotspot was underneath a thin ocean plate. More coming on that in a second. But then as North America comes into the picture, that hotspot is transitioned to burning a hole in a continental uh, crustal block on the North American plate. And I'm hesitating there because uh, let's add one more wrinkle to it that's kind of a little kind of fun. Uh, let's go back. 56 million years ago, the Yellowstone hotspot builds Silesia, large igneous province, 56 to 48 million years ago. In those last couple of million years, Silesia is added to the edge of North America, and then Silesia burns a hole in the thing that it made. I'm going to pause and try to say this again. That was awkward, but this I need to do more with this. Not right here, but I mean in the future with programs, because it is a cool idea that you build this oceanic plateau, half of which is in Alaska, by the way. Do you remember that? That's the uh, Yakutat terrain. So this was a big boy. This was a big, large igneous province built by the Yellowstone hotspot. Almost everybody agrees on that now. But only half of it is here in the Pacific Northwest. The other half is up in Alaska. I suppose that will be a future episode of this thing. But, but what I'm trying to get to here is, is the cool idea that is kind of only casually treated by me so far in lectures. And I think I need to do more with it because it, it took the students by surprise. I could feel it. They were really interested in this topic. Even a few of them questioned me openly as I was saying it. Like, are you sure? which is great. I love that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure I read that right. So what am I saying? 
the Yellowstone mantle plume makes the oceanic plateau. The plateau gets moved off of the Yellowstone mantle plume in the ocean. Siletia gets added to the west coast of North America, but North America is coming at the mantle plume. Remember, the mantle plume doesn't move. So you make Siletia, you add it to the edge of North America, and now because Siletia is added to the edge of North America and North America is heading towards the Yellowstone hotspot, the punchline is Siletia is shot full of holes by the Tillamook volcanics, which started about 42 million years ago. And that's the Yellowstone hotspot burning holes in the thing that it made out in the water. I'm going to try it one more time real quick. because Do you see what I mean, how this is kind of cool? <clears throat> Let's try it the opposite way of, of saying it. Today in western Oregon... <clears throat> West, excuse me, west of the crest of the Cascades, all of the state of Oregon, uh, west of the crest of the Cascades, is uh, Siletia basalt. Most of it in the subsurface, a little bit here and there at the surface. Okay? 56 to 48 basalt. But in that western Oregon area, there are younger, 42-million-year-old Tillamook volcanics and some other local names I can't remember at the moment. Oh, Yahats, if I say Yaka, Yahats. I got corrected by the live viewers. I still can't say it right. Those 42-million-year-old uh, lavas are the result of the Yellowstone mantle plume burning a hole in Siletia. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought Siletia was made by the Yellowstone mantle plume. Well, that's what I was just trying to say earlier. I'm going to try it again now. Where's the Yellowstone hotspot 56 million years ago? It's offshore. Build Siletia. Move Siletia east off of the Yellowstone mantle plume, added to the edge of North America. But wait, North America is not stationary. North America is drifting southwest. So here comes the leading edge of North America with this big carcass of a dead animal on its windshield coming towards the Yellowstone hotspot. And we're going to, it's already a dead carcass, but we're going to shoot it full of bullets as that dead carcass, Siletia, which is accreted to North America, is moved back onto this Yellowstone hotspot. So there's two generations of Yellowstone lavas in western Oregon, is ultimately what I'm trying to say. And if you read the Vic Camp Ray Wells paper, which again, you can get to, if nothing else, I'm making some of these science papers free and available and easy to find for people who have interest. Quite often these are behind paywalls and other things, or it's very difficult to find the right link to download something. I know some of you are pros at it, but most of us are not. So you remember the last episode? If you go to nickzentner.com and you go to the upper right-hand corner of that homepage, you'll see uh, red letters 351. Click on 351. That will get to the geology. That will get you to the Geology 351 webpage, 
and I have a bunch of science papers that you can click on and either view on your computer screen or you can even click to download it for free and if you want to print it out you know that's that's my that's my approach but anyway that uh, Camp and Wells long-lived Yellowstone hotspot paper is a good one and what I've just described is not the main focus of the paper. The main focus of the paper, talking about a long-lived Yellowstone hotspot, is really talking about the potential signature of the Yellowstone mantle plume in central and eastern Oregon. Because we were just talking about western Oregon, weren't we? I promised we were talking about Oregon geology today. I don't know that much, but I do know how to... uh, uh, I follow most of what's in, in uh, Vic and Ray's paper. So if we're not talking about Celetsi any longer, we're not. If we're not talking about the Tillamook episode, which again is Celetsia being moved over the Yellowstone mantle plume and starting 42, I don't know how, forget, I forget how long. Wait, hang on. Yeah, between 42 and 34 million years ago, there are these lavas in western Oregon that say that the Yellowstone mantle plume is directly beneath. And you're like, well, how do you know that? How do you, how do you know the Yellowstone mantle plume is beneath your area? I'm weak on geochemistry. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. But if you can find some helium isotopes, if you can find some, oh God, what is it? Yttrium to strontium ratio, or the other way around. I'm going to stop. I'm going to sound sound like more of a clown than usual. There are ways to make a strong case geochemically for the Yellowstone mantle plume big beneath your area, as well as just the the general timing of this. You know, just the, the 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 layout, the spatial layout of these lavas, and basically, if you're saying that Yellowstone no. Yes. If you're saying the Yellowstone mantle plume is offshore 56 to 48 million years ago, and we are, well, can we find it then? Can we can we follow the Yellowstone mantle plume underneath Oregon? Because we got to get it to Idaho. You with me? Okay, let me try this differently. So traditionally, I'm sure almost everybody has heard that there's a very clear path of where the Yellowstone hotspot was located between 17 million years ago and today by going to the Snake River Plain in southern Idaho. There's calderas, there's buried calderas, there's ash flow tufts, otherwise known as ignimbrites. There's all sorts of evidence for this Yellowstone mantle plume uh, burning through a very thick old North American craton in Idaho. Nothing, nothing new there. That's been that that's been known for a long, long time. But what's new here with this episode and with this paper is looking for evidence of the Yellowstone mantle plume older than seventeen, but younger than fifty million years ago. Now, why did I pick 50? Well, roughly 50 is when Celestia is being added to the edge of North America. And I'm, I'm confused on this part, and there's kind of a lag, which I don't understand. 
And the lag is between we're going to add Silesia 50 million years ago, but we're not going to have the Yellowstone mantle plume specifically slip beneath western Oregon until 42 million years ago, the beginning of the Tillamook lavas. And now that I say it out loud, I guess that lag between 50 and 42 mm, is just closing the gap between the leading edge of North America and the position of that stationary flashlight out in the water. I guess that's the answer. It's not that hard. But the last part of this audio episode is looking for lavas that are younger than the Tillamook. Again, the Tillamook episode, just all from memory, by the way. Don't mean to be uh, super discombobulated, but I guess I am in this episode. Hopefully you can follow. If nothing else, this, the sound of my voice will help you fall asleep. I've heard that from plenty of people. <laughs> love the podcast the sound of your voice just calms me down helps me fall asleep <laughs> fall asleep <laughs> mission accomplished baby all right i don't know where i was going there yeah it's just disc- discombobulated but if you're you know if you're really trying to piece this together i suppose you listen if you're an a plus student of this audio podcast you got the freaking paper in front of you i suppose right you got it right in front of you. You're looking at the diagrams as I'm talking. I suppose that's the overachieving crowd. I'm giving a midterm today, by the way, so that's why I got a little extra time on a Tuesday morning to talk to you. I don't have to cram for my own lecture. And if you happen to catch this, I'm, uh, what do they call it, premiering, daddy's on a tangent, while I'm giving the midterm today at 1 p.m. Pacific time, Tuesday, May 4th, I'm premiering uh, one of my little field videos with Andrew Sadowski. It's called uh, Tianaway. No, it's called First Creek Rhyolite. So I'm experimenting with different ways to make videos. I've been sharing field trips with my students, probably illegal, but whatever, showing their faces on camera. But the most recent one of those was at the Peshastan Pinnacles, and the people, uh, the audience or the you know, p- viewers were particularly uh, pleased with that one because they were eavesdropping in on what the students were kind of thinking on the fly. You know, we're all looking at this outcrop together, and they're all, you know, have the confidence now to, like, share their ideas openly. And uh, so that's one experiment. Another experiment is um, going... <laughs> I can't believe I even did it, but I talked Andrew Sadowski into it. He's a guy working for the Washington Geological Survey as a field mapper. I'm definitely on a tangent now. And I said, hey, I want to go up and look for some rhyolite outcrops in the First Creek area. Can you, are you interested in joining me? He's like, sure. Then two weeks later, he's like, hey, I got the key. I got the key to get in the gate at First Creek. I'm like, how did you do that? He's like, eh, not telling you, but I got the key. So we drove, and he has all the, you know, GPS and the iPad with the whatevers and the LiDAR. So we drove up to this outcrop of rhyolite, and I turned my camera on. I said, hey, how about we just, let me mic you up. Let's just film this. 
He says, he was a really good sport about it. He said, I, I haven't even been here before. I'm like, I don't know. I think that'd be fun. Like, I'm not afraid to look like a dumbass. And uh, I suppose you are <laughs> for good reason. But, uh, you know, people that watch uh, my stuff, I think know by now that um, I like learning new things. And I'm starting to realize that nobody's doing this kind of thing where you're just like filming as you're learning stuff. I did this a little bit last summer. I was taking a field guide up into the mountains and like literally reading and learning and like having moments. And I've heard from some of you, by the way, who've left nice emails or comments on Apple, whatever reviews. And you're like, some of you is like, I kind of like when, uh, you know, the guy pauses and he like thinks of something new, like on the spot. Oh boy, I'm all over the place here, but I, I guess I'm just sh trying to share with you that I'm trying new things, not only learning new geology, but trying new ways to um, do videos. And you're like, I don't care about videos. I'm listening to your audio thing. Shut up about the video thing. Okay, I will. But the point is uh, capturing these new thoughts, whether it's audio or video form, is kind of fun. So let me finish that train of thought. I'm giving my midterm today, and I'm premiering this uh, First Creek video with Andrew, and I'll be in the live chat with everybody. Uh, it's like a 25-minute video, but if you want to be part of that, um, it's kind of fun. Anyway, if, if you, I, you're probably busy at 1 p.m. today, or you won't have heard this by 1 p.m. That's only like, what, seven hours from now? Uh, five hours from now? Uh, anyway, uh, so now there's a very good chance I don't remember where I was. Hang on. Mm -hmm. Not exactly sure where I was before that diversion, but I have a guess. There's one more group of lavas between 30 and 20 million years ago. I probably went on a tangent because I'm procrastinating talking about these because I know next to nothing about them. Camp and Wells call it, it's mostly camp, calls it the Adekite Belt. So we're in central and even eastern Oregon now. And there's a group of lavas that appear to be related to the Yellowstone hotspot, but not directly. That's how we're going to finish this episode. So on, in that paper, they have a cartoon or two showing the Farallon plate subducting beneath the west coast of North America. But they also show the Yellowstone mantle plume in the cartoon as well. And you're like, whoa, what? You're going to show a deep mantle plume coming from the core mantle boundary? You're going to have that blowtorch come all the way towards the surface, but you're also going to have a subducting ocean plate kind of angling into the frame from the upper left to the lower right? That's right. That's what these guys did. And what they were really trying to show is that between 30 and 20 million years ago in eastern Oregon, these adakites and other, I'll just say weird lavas, because I don't know the geochemistry, but these weird lavas are showing evidence that the Yellowstone mantle plume is beneath eastern Oregon between 30 and 20 million years ago, but that mantle plume is having to 
uh, fight against and lose, by the way, fight against the, the Farallon Plate. So in their cartoon, in their tectonic model, which I suppose will continue to evolve, but the idea is that the Adekite Belt, the 30 to 20 million year old strangely geochemically signatured, what, lavas in eastern Oregon, are the result of a mantle plume melting or altering or dissolving or thermally eroding or I don't know what, man, the oceanic Farallon plate. And so there are some gaps in time between 34 and 17 million years ago where nothing's coming to the surface. There are no magmas or there are no lavas coming to eastern Washington, and those gaps would be between 34 and 30, and another gap where it's real quiet between 20 and 17. And in those two gaps, the model is there's nothing leaking through the Farallon plate, that that Yellowstone mantle plume is kind of pooling underneath this sheet of Farallon material. And, of course, it's dangerous to visualize pools of liquid down there. The pressures are too high to have liquids. But in a cartoonish sense, I think that's the message. But then to explain this Adekite, Adekite, however you pronounce it, in eastern Oregon, apparently you're, you're not trapping the mantle plume material beneath the Farallon plate, but you're getting leaks of the melted or altered Farallon plate that's being heated up, superheated by the Yellowstone mantle plume down below. So to finish this episode, I'll just try to say that it looks like now most everybody's agreeing that we have excellent evidence of the Yellowstone mantle plume younger than 17 million years ago in Idaho, and now Wyoming, of course. And we also have excellent evidence of the Yellowstone mantle plume, 56 to... 56 to... I guess 34. If you, if, if, I guess the Tillamook lavas are also very good evidence of the Yellowstone mantle plume. But it's, it's more murky, it's more difficult, it's hazier to find evidence, direct evidence of the Yellowstone mantle plume between 34 and 17 million years ago. Although these Adekites, in a general sense, are trying to show that. This is the last comment. There's been clockwise rotation in the Pacific Northwest since 50 million years ago. The accretion of Silesia is continuing to be a major story. I'm realizing it's a more and more major story as I look more into this. And so I keep talking about Oregon because that's where these lavas are today, but especially in Western Oregon, those rocks were originally down in California and they have been moved to Oregon. So you're, if you're still with us here, by the way, you've been trying to visualize this, this uh, blowtorch, Yellowstone mantle plume, over the last 56 million years ago, I assume you're kind of visualizing it moving west to east, even though you know North America is the one moving. But it's a little bit more complicated in the sense that 
it's North America is drifting southwest. So this, if you're thinking the Yellowstone mantle plume moving, you know what we mean. We really want to think of a southwest to northeast drifting Yellowstone mantle plume. And then you're like, well, but wait a minute. And then you're down in California. Well, we were. But since the Yellowstone mantle plume drifts underneath, then we start rotating this crust one degree of rotation every million years. So you can get stuff in, in Oregon, even in southern Washington, that was originally much further to the south due to this post-Yellowstone mantle plume clockwise rotation. Good Lord in heaven, what are we trying to do here today? Without one map, without one flashlight, without one linear line of thought, apparently, but maybe it worked for you anyway. Dear listener, thank you for listening to this episode featuring the work of Ray Wells and Vic Camp. Before I hit record on this thing, I thought that I would just kind of then move on to the Ray Wells Celestia stuff next time. I don't know, kind of half did it in this one, but I'll figure out a way to how to recap the next lecture or two Uh, in the next episode. Appreciate you listening to this one. Thank you. I love you. And we'll see you next time. And by see, I mean here. Uh, what? Goodbye.